You know what tonight is? It's grad night. It's grad night. So a few seniors, it's on the screen, you cheaters. Oh my gosh, you cheaters. Oh my gosh. So at this time, we're going to have all of our seniors come up front and, um, and give, their, give their talents and explain to you why they believe the world should change. And, um, and they're also going to tell you what their special skills are, such as reading. You guys are talking to me right now like seventh grade girls. This is so frustrating right now. Oh my goodness. I thought we fixed this. Um, <laughs> I want the seventh grade girls back. Can I have them back? I'm just kidding. So anyway, seriously, guys, I'm, I'm so excited about tonight. So excited tonight. This is one of my favorite nights of the year. And so um, why don't you guys go ahead and grab your sermon notes. They should be on your, on your chairs. Get your, grab your Bibles. You guys bring your Bibles. We're on your chair. You're sitting on your notes, huh? Physical Bibles. Dude, I got your back, bro. I got your back, dude. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you for a few moments. Shh. Hey, what we're, what we're about to do here is serious, right? What we do here is we, as we listen to the Bible being preached and we, we ask ourselves the question, what is God saying to me? So we want, to, we want to focus here. But I want to talk to you for a few moments about a very important day. A very important day, especially for those of us who follow the National Football League. And this day, you're like, I thought it was grad day. No, it's a more important day. And this day is called... Draft day. Shh. Draft day. Now, right now, all around the National Football League, executives are preparing for what is called draft day. Executives all across the football league in Seattle, in Philadelphia, in San Francisco, they're meeting in these rooms called war rooms. And in the war room, they are preparing their approach for the upcoming draft. They're preparing their approach for how they will choose the upcoming talent upon which they will build the rest of their organization. And now, inside of this war room is what they call a draft board, right? You guys have probably never seen a draft board because a draft board is super, super, super top secret. Do you know what's on the draft board? On the draft board are the names of every single individual in the draft. And these executives, what they're doing is, they're looking at the names and they're evaluating them. They're talking about them. They're watching their film. They're looking at a whole bunch of criteria and measurements because they're trying to answer the question, who will I choose? Who will I choose? And so every single person, they are evaluated, what's their vertical jump? How fast are they? How strong are they? How good looking are they? How smart are they? What's their family like? Every single player in the draft is evaluated because the executives, friends, in the National Football League, they understand how important it is to determine which player they will choose. Now, I want you to imagine this. Let's have some fun here. Let's pretend that God had a draft board. Let's pretend that God had a draft board in heaven, and no, he's not a Seahawks fan. I'm sorry to disappoint you, because he's an Eagles fan, but in heaven, God has a draft board to help him figure out who he will choose to change the world. Imagine he has a draft board as he's thinking about who he would choose to see people's lives changed by the gospel. And so here's my question to you. As God, 
drew up his draft board, what qualities do you think he'd be looking for? What do you think? As God was looking around this room, as God was looking over the earth, and he's saying, who am I going to choose to make a difference for me? What qualities do you think he's looking for? Who do you think would make that list? Do you guys in here think that the names on his list, do you think you'd find them surprising? Or do you think it'd be the obvious choices? Seniors, eighth graders, students, let me ask you this question. When you're being honest with yourself, do you think that you'd find your name on that list? How does God choose the people that he'll use? I know that God really doesn't have a draft board, right, okay? God does not have a physical draft board in heaven, but this situation, it just leads me to wonder. It leads me to imagine, how does God choose? What criteria is he going by? What is he measuring? What is he looking for in each individual to determine whom he will choose to use to make a difference for him? And so our text today, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and our question is, our, our text, our passage today, as you and I look through, we're going to look through six verses, seven verses, verse by verse, line by line, and the answer that we're looking for is going to answer our question. How does God choose the people that he'll use? And so go ahead and open up your Bibles, 1 Samuel Chapter 16, this is a beast passage. You guys are gonna, I hope you guys love this one. If you don't love it, you're gonna nod your head anyway because it's sick, all right? So go ahead, open up your Bibles. Uh, for those of you who are new to Citizens, welcome. All right, I see some new faces here. I love it, I'm glad you're here. Um, and so what we do here for the next few moments, I encourage you, bring your Bibles every week, your physical Bibles. Um, we, we usually don't use our phones as Bibles because let's be real, uh, how many people are addicted to their phones? The people that are not raising their hands right now, it's because they're actually texting, okay? <laughs> I'm not addicted to my phone, right? So we, we try not to use our phones uh, for our Bibles just because we're real and we know that it's too much of a distraction. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, so go ahead, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and as you do, allow me to set the scene. Dun, 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 hit the lights. Not really, it's a metaphor, right? Let's set the scene. The scene is ancient Israel, 1000 B.C., the scene is ancient Israel, and Israel is what we call, in the biz, a theocracy. A theocracy is simply this. It's a nation that is ruled by God. So have you heard of a monarchy ruled by king, a theocracy ruled by God? And so Israel's this theocracy, but they did something kind of foolish. Israel has been given the privilege of being ruled by God, and the Bible says that they reject God as king because they don't want God as king. You know who they want? They want a human, a human king, right? They want a human being to be their king. And so they go out, and they say, we want a king, we want a king. And they say, hey, you, come here, right? And they, not you, and they pull Saul. And Saul, friends, oh, man, you would have picked him too, man, because Saul was a bad man, right? Saul was taller than everyone else. The text says that he was handsome, he was a mighty warrior. And so they say, we are theocracy, ruled by God, uh, time out. We want a human king. And so they select Saul as their king. But then God, God over here, he looks at Saul, and the Bible says that he rejected Saul because Saul didn't understand that if you're gonna lead the people of God, you better have complete obedience 
to God. And so our text today takes place directly after this failure. The people, they chose a king and he failed. And so now in our text today, God is about to give his choice. God is about to choose because Israel is back at the drawing board or we could say the draft board. And as we see whom God chooses to take this new role as king, we're gonna be able to answer the question, how does God choose whom he will use? And so let's pick up this story here in verse six. You with me? You with me? Happy graduation. Here we go. First Samuel 16, verse six. When they came, so he sent Samuel the prophet. God says, Samuel. Uh, he doesn't sound like this, right? He sounds like Morgan Friedman, obviously. But he says, Samuel, go to Jesse's house because Jesse has a lot of sons. One of his sons are gonna be king. And so here they are at Jesse's house. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Jump down to verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and he made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. Why do I say these names like this? Because it just, they sound more manly, right? Shama. Hey, Shama. Shama. It sounds like a little kid saying a dog's name with a lisp, right? Shama. No, it's Sama. Shama, right? Shama. Shama, right? Anyway, I made Shama pass by. I'm wild today. I got to get on track. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons. That dude got a lot of kids, right? Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Let's pause there. Here's the first thing we see here. Here's the scene. The first thing we see is the parade of the obvious choices. We see this parade of obvious choices. Look at Jesse here, right? How many people know that Jesse's that dad, right? Jesse's that kind of dad that like, he's like, my sons are sitting on the bench. Hey coach, can you put my sons in? Second inning. Hey, hey coach, uh, that's my kid on the bench there. Seventh, coach, put my kid in the game, right? It's just like this overzealous dad. And so here's Jesse. He hears that there's a vacancy for the king. And so Jesse doesn't send recommendations. Hey, you know what? My cousin over there, he has a really nice boy. I bet you he'd be good for the king. No, no, no. Jesse says, oh, there's a vacancy? Well, I have seven sons here. And so he starts this parade, right? It's kind of hilarious. He starts parading his boys and his, his, his recommendations of whom he thinks would fit the role, right? He goes, oh, you need a king? I got you. Eliab, boom. And so here comes Eliab, right? And it's funny because Jesse, he's putting these seven and he goes from the oldest to the youngest. He's looking at the most obvious choices on, for the role. And here's the thing, because you guys gotta catch this. When you look at these choices, when you look at the parade of boys that are about, of men that are about to come in, it's perfect. I mean, you look at these guys and they are studs and every single one of you in this room, you would have looked at the parade and you would have said, a king? That's what a king is, right? You would look at these guys and you'd say, if you look up king in the dictionary, Eliab, his picture is there next to the word king, right? Look at what we got here, look at the parade, look at the first son. His name is Eliab. 
Eliab, Eliab, I mean, we don't know how to pronounce it, you know, unless your Bible's in audio, and then you know for sure, but that's not inspired. But the text refers to Eliab, and it says the height of his stature, all right? You guys probably don't talk like that, right? You're like, hey, mom, can you come measure me on the doorpost? I think the height of my stature has grown. No, what, is, what does height of stature mean? This dude's tall, right? He's got impressive height, that's pretty smart. That's pretty good for being a king because guess what kings have to do? They gotta go to battle, right? And so you're gonna wanna follow a king who's five foot nothing that he's like, hey guys, it's time to go. Charge. I mean, you don't want that, right? There's just something physically intimidating about a man who's like, I don't know, 6'2", curly hair, blue shirts. I just, there's something powerful. <laughs> That's not in the text. I'm extrapolating, of course, right? But there's just, there's something about Eliab, man, because he's tall. He has impressive height. And then what's more is he's the oldest. How many firstborns do I have in here? Woo, right? Firstborns, right? We take control. This dude, how many people know that Eliab, <laughs> Eliab didn't walk into the room with his tail between his legs. How many of you are firstborns again? Firstborns? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you have firstborn siblings? Yep, look at it. Everybody's like, uh-huh, yep. <laughs> The firstborns are trying to play it cool. They're like, yeah, I'm a firstborn. What's up, right? The little baby's like, yeah, he's a firstborn, right? <laughs> how many of you who have siblings that are firstborns, you can imagine how Eliab walked into the room, right? You can imagine, yep. Did he walk in with his tail between his legs? Hey, Mr. Mr. Prophet, I heard there's, I, I heard that maybe you're looking for a king. I, I heard that, and then maybe I could put my name in, but only if you need me. I mean, I mean, but then if, nah, dude. <laughs> how did Eliab walk into the room? Oh, your boy, right? Hey, king search, over. No more applications. I'm the king, right? Is that not how the oldest walks into the room, right? All you oldest right now were like, no. Eliab, he's tall. He has impressive height. He's the oldest, so you know that he's brimming with confidence. We learn in the next chapter that Eliab, he was yoked, okay? That's a technical term for meaning ripped out of your mind. Okay, he hit the gym hard. We know that because he was a warrior. He was a mighty warrior. And so everything about this guy is like, that's the king. That, he should be the king, right? No doubt. He's the full meal deal, right? Yes, he has fries with that. <laughs> Eliab's got the kind, like think about it. When you look at Eliab, friends, I want you to picture him. When you look at him, on the outside, he had everything going on for him. He had everything that would make you say, choose him, first round draft pick. Even Samuel, look at what Samuel says of the text here. Samuel looks at him, and you, gotta, you, gotta, you just gotta appreciate the way that the Bible's written, because it's not written as like this like textbook. Number one. Don't do this. Number two, do this. I mean, it kind of does do that in the Ten Commandments, I suppose, right? But the majority of Scripture is written through the lenses of people. These are real people. And so even Samuel, he sees the impressive choice. And what does he say? He goes, surely. Everybody say, surely. But say it like you're convinced. Surely the king's anointed is right here. Surely the new king just walked into the room. No doubt the new king just walked into the room. And so here's what we learn from the parade of obvious choices. 
and I think you'll agree with me here, we learn that people in our world are all too often impressed by what's on the surface. We learn here from this parade that people are way too often impressed by external features, right? Jesse thinks, king? Oh, yeah, yeah, get the biggest and the baddest. Samuel sees the first one and goes, surely. These people, they're impressed all too easily by external features. And if you look at the text here, if you, start, if you put yourself in this narrative the way I'm trying to, you realize that they're using what I call the skin-deep assessment. Do you guys know what a skin-deep assessment is? You all use it. When you meet a new friend for the first time or the kid moves from out of town and he moves into your school, how many people know what the skin-deep assessment is? Right? This is my definition of skin-deep assessment. It's when you evaluate someone based on the surface level. It's when you're easily impressed by the outside and all you see are the external features. Jesse and Samuel, they were using the skin-deep assessment. Friends, students, has anything changed in thousands of years later? Has, like, think about it. Has anything legitimately changed besides electricity? No, no, I'm talking about here. When it comes to the skin-deep assessment, is that not still the way it is today? Is it, are we still not living in a culture that is obsessed with what's on the outside? And here's what I want to say to my seniors about this, all right? I want you to understand, look at me here. I want you to understand that this is the world that you're going into. Eighth graders, as you go into high school, this is the world that you're going into. We live in a world, friends, ladies, men, we live in a world that is obsessed with what's on the outside. We live in a world that is obsessed with keeping up appearances and your personas. And students, if you're not careful, you're going to find yourself trying to live in such a way to pass the skin-deep assessment. If you're not careful, you're going to find yourself being sucked into and trapped into this mentality that says, I'm more concerned with appearances. I need to be more concerned about my persona. I need to be more concerned about my image, no matter what's actually going on on the inside. And if you're not careful, this skin-deep assessment is so dangerous, friends, that you will become consumed with the outside and you won't even realize that there's actually no substance on the inside. Because our world is obsessed. It worships the outside. And so that's what we see here. The parade of obvious choices. And people are obsessed. Yes, yes, he's tall. Yes, he's good looking. Yes, he's strong. Yes, he's confident. Yes, let's choose those people. It's the parade of obvious choices. And so I wonder here, let's maybe guess a little bit, right? or I guess we could read the next verses, who do you think God chooses? Seven sons come before him, and they're all impressive in different ways. Which of the seven does God choose? Maybe it's Eliab, maybe it's Abinadab, maybe it's Shammah. Who does God choose? Look what it says here. All seven of the impressive candidates, they come and they pass before Samuel, right? It's just like, my, this is the way I read my Bible. I just like picture this like fashion show, right? And now, introducing Abinadab. It's like, what do you do? Right? It's just, 
It's such a funny scene that he parades them before. So these seven candidates, they come before Samuel, and look what he says. I have not chosen these. Good night, everybody. Go home. <laughs> Good night. Seriously, just, just everybody go home. I mean, like, seriously, you have not chosen these? Look what God says, verse 7, about Eliab, your boy. Eliab, look what he says. I've rejected him. Look at verse 8 about Abinadab, I have not chosen him. Look at verse 9 about Shammah, I have not chosen him. And then look at verse 10, the most summary statement of all, the, the, the most summarizing statement, insulting statement about all seven of his sons. And you can imagine Jesse, right? He's like, coach, put him in the game. He's like, what is he screaming at the prophet? Anoint him. I don't know. But look at the summarizing statement here in verse 10. He says about all seven, the Lord has not chosen these. Why? Are you kidding me? Friends, did you not see these candidates? Why would God not choose them? God, do you not realize that these are first round draft picks? God, do you not realize that these are guys that can get into any university they want to get in? Guys, do you, God, do you not realize that, they can, that they're the most confident and they'll succeed and all these things on the outside, God, they are perfect. What's going on with God? I don't know. Let's keep going because the story only gets more bizarre because right after the parade of obvious choices, we now see the selection of a surprising choice. And so let's pick it up here in verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And Jesse said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And so he sent and brought him in. Now, David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said to Samuel, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Look at the selection of the surprising choice here. For those of you taking notes, the selection of the surprising choice. What's Samuel doing? He's at Jesse's house picking a king. And so he comes, he knows from God that one of Jesse's sons will be king. And, but after all seven come through, he starts to put two and two together and he goes, I, I, I don't get it, God, you said one of his sons, so there must be another son? Jesse, are you like an old man? Did you forget? Do you have another son? And what is Jesse's response here? He goes, oh, I mean, well, I didn't forget about him. I just, I mean... I'm just not going to put his resume in for the, for the opening. I mean, trust me, you don't want to see David, right? Have you seen how tall he is? You don't want to see David. And so Samuel, put, doing the math, he goes, no, no, if that's your only other son, by process of elimination, I am not going to sit down. We are not going to grub tonight until that boy is over here and gets his button here because I've been sitting on my knees all day. No, no, all right? I, just, he says, that's the last son. Get him in here. Get him in here. And so look what the text says. Guys, look at your Bibles. Look what the text says about David. It says that he was keeping the sheep. How many of you guys, when you grow up, want to get your college education and go out into the workforce 
and be an exterminator. Right? You're like, I went to Harvard for what? All right, if you're not in middle school, how many of you want to be an exterminator, right? Like there's just, there's certain jobs, there's certain jobs in our culture that we just look at and we go, those are insignificant, right? Like we make fun of that. Oh, I don't want to flip burgers at McDonald's. And we just, we make those kind of jokes because in our culture, those jobs are seen as less, right? And so here's David. He's not a warrior. He's not like fixing wells and pipes. He's not an engineer. He's not the firstborn. He's taking care of the sheep. How insignificant is that? And so that's why Jesse was like, I, 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 I don't want to put his resume in. I, I, he's not really a warrior type. He's more of like the sit down and sing kumbaya type. He's one of those sissy shepherd boys, right? Look what else the text says about him. It says that he's the youngest. So naturally, he's probably not the tallest, right? He's probably the shortest of the bunch. The least impressive. And then it says here the most curious phrase of all, right? It's describing David, and it, and it gets to this part here where you're like, would David write that on his Instagram account, right? <laughs> Look what it says here. He says, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. I want you guys to write that tonight in your description. <laughs> hey, my name is Sam Cassis. Hashtag ruddy, hashtag beauty eyes, right? <laughs> he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. Why does the Bible call a timeout here to describe his appearance? I wonder why. Well, if we were reading, like, if we had our way, and we were reading through all of 1 Samuel, like a storybook, like the way it's written, you would come to this point, and you would hear the word handsome, and all of a sudden your ears would perk up, and you go, Burr? that sounds familiar. Because when was the last time that the author said he was handsome? Do you know when the last time the Bible said that? In chapter 9, talking about King Saul, right? And so right away, the, all the listeners, they go, whoa, wait a minute, a handsome man? The Bible used that to describe the last king. So wait a minute, we have an election scene on our hands. Do you get that? Do you follow that? The last time the Bible described somebody as handsome, they were in the process of selecting him as king. And so now here David comes in the room and the Bible says, hey, he was handsome. Everybody goes, oh, I get it. I get what's going on here. That's going to be the next king, except there's a difference. This is God's choice. And so here he comes in. This is God's choice. And David is the kind of person, friends, that every single one of you, especially if you're in high school, every single one of you would look at this dude and you go, you'd make that face, right? The, him? Are you joking? Hey, guy, him? He's going to be our king? When you use the skin-deep assessment, like we talked about, when you use that skin-deep assessment, choosing David doesn't make much sense. And so here's the question tonight, friends. Why did God choose David? We saw the parade of obvious choices. It was right there. It was a layup, God. You just had to choose him. It was the parade of obvious choices, but we now see the selection of a surprising choice, and I want, you to answer, I want you to ask the question. I want you to go home tonight laying down and wondering, why did God choose David? Why? When you use the skin-deep assessment, it doesn't make any sense. But here's the reality. Students, seniors, here's the reality. God doesn't use the skin-deep assessment, does he? No, look at verse 7. We skipped over verse 7, but look what it says here. For the Lord sees, not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearances, but the Lord 
looks on the heart? There's the answer. Here's why God doesn't choose the obvious choices. It's because while man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. Friends, David, he wasn't impressive, but God was not concerned with his size. God didn't care how short he was. God didn't care how puny his muscles were. God didn't care what his job was. He didn't care about his order of birth. God wasn't looking at those things. He wasn't impressed by Eliab's strength. He wasn't impressed by Shama's speed. He wasn't impressed by Adinabab's height. Because while man looks on the outside, God, he's more concerned with what's going on under the surface. God looks on the heart. And so what do we know about David's heart? You guys have heard of David, right? Raise your hand if you've heard of David. Okay. So you know, you know something about David here. You know that David was a man after God's own heart. That means that David, he actually cared about the things that God cared about. The things that made God upset, David was upset by those. The things that made God happy, David was happy by those. Look what else we know about David's heart. What was his job? He was a shepherd. So that means he had the heart of a shepherd, right? He was, a, he was a, a man who was very caring, and he was loving. And so he would be perfect for a king, because that's exactly what a king needed to do. A king needed to care for people. David had the heart. And then how many of you have ever read the Psalms? Have any of you ever read a psalm? Do you know who wrote most of the psalms? David. And so we know what his heart is like because he's poured it out on every single page of the Psalms. This is a man who loves God. And so God chooses him. He says, Samuel, take your horn of oil, because we all have one of those, right? Some of you guys use cologne, maybe a little brute action, right? A little aftershave. I use a horn. I wake up every morning, it's like, and just like mists and falls on me. You got to try it. It's like pretty epic, right? If you need to find out where you can find a horn of perfume or, or cologne, come and talk to me. Yep, I'm, I'm a supplier. Um, I don't do that. I don't do that. So he says to Samuel, grab your horn of oil and anoint him. Take it, pour oil on him as a symbol of saying, I'm going to choose him. I'm pouring my spirit on him. And so God chooses David. Because while man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. That's how God chooses the people that he uses. He's not using the skin deep assessment. And friends, this is who God is. My prayer is that you guys would understand a little bit more of God. My prayer is that you would understand how God works. And the thing that we realize today is that while man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. And God, friends, he's always done that. He's consistent in that choosing. Because you know what happened a thousand years after David? You know what happened 1,000 years after David was chosen as king? There was another man that came. And this man was actually a descendant of King David. And just like David, God came along and was going to choose him. But not to be the king of Israel, but to be the king of the entire world. And as God is choosing this next king, friends, you'd be disappointed because he would never pass the skin deep assessment. This man that came after David, if you looked at him just on the outside, you would look at him and go, this guy? 
He's the one who's going to be qualified to be the king of the entire world? Are you joking me? He wasn't the obvious first choice. Friends, this man, God must have lost his mind seemingly because this man didn't fit any of the requirements of the office. This man's name was Jesus. And he didn't pick up the sword of a warrior king. He picked up the towel of a servant and started wiping people's feet. This man, Jesus, he didn't enter town on a horse of a champion. He entered town on the donkey of an ordinary man. Friends, this man, he was the farthest thing from the obvious choice. God chose him, and, we didn't, and nobody understood it because he didn't take the throne of a king. He climbed up onto the cross of a criminal. And this is the person that God was choosing? Friends, the world didn't get it. A lot of people to this day don't understand who Jesus was. They don't understand that he is the one whom God has chosen to be the king of the world. He is the one whom God has placed on the throne in heaven, and he calls the entire world, follow him. He's the one through whom God gives his message, repent, stop living for yourself, and submit to the king that I've placed on the throne. Because if you don't live for the king whom I've placed on the throne, your eternity will be destruction. That's how important this choice was. And the world, <laughs> the world, they saw this king and they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They looked at Jesus, they laughed at him, they scoffed, a crucified king. Yeah, give me a break, I'll go with Caesar. He's strong, he has armies. And Jesus came as a lowly servant. The world didn't get it, friends, because the world didn't understand and the world still doesn't understand today that while man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. While man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. And so here's how I want to close today. I want to close by talking to my seniors because it's my prayer, seniors. It's my prayer that in your life, as you move on from here, that God uses you. It's my prayer that God takes your life and he changes the world through you. That he uses you to impact people's lives through the gospel. And as you do that, here's the reality, seniors. As you do that, you're going to experience some times in your life where you have doubt. There's going to be some times, every single student in this room, there's going to be times in your life where you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't feel very confident. Ever been there? Right? There's going to be times in your life where you look in the mirror and you don't really like what you're seeing. And not just your hair. I'm talking about your, your, your soul. You're just like, what am I going to do? How is God going to use me? And friends, when you come to those times of doubt, I want you to remember that God is looking on your heart. Don't compare yourself based on external appearances with others. Don't look at yourself and don't believe that God can't use you because of the skin-deep assessment. Remember that God looks on the heart. But then there's other times. <laughs> there's other times, and, and some of us live here way too often, but there's times of doubt. And then there's times of confidence. And seniors, I'm talking to you. You're feeling good right now, aren't you? How many seniors are feeling good? You're not feeling good. 
I feel good. <laughs> no, yeah, you're not feeling good. I guess times have changed. When I was graduating, I was literally on top of the world. Like, I stood on top of the world. Because where I'm standing right now is curved. So you're like always on top of the world. Hey, I'm on top of the world. But anyway, so listen, seniors, there's going to be times in your life where you feel confident. And you're going to feel like nothing can stop me. And you're going to be feeling like, oh, God wants to use someone? What's up? Definitely he can use me. And it's in those times when you're feeling good, I want you to remember this story. And I want you to remember that your skills and your talents and your charisma and your personality, those th- your education, your grades, those things in and of themselves are not enough. Remember the story of David. Remember how God, he passed over all of the obvious choices. He passed over all the impressive candidates. And I want you guys to watch your hearts. I need you. I'm asking you, watch your hearts. Because if you're not careful, you are going to live life in a way to, 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 to pass the skin-deep assessment. And so as you head into this world, friends, are you living life in such a way so that you can pass the skin-deep assessment? Or are you living life in such a way that you would pass a heart-deep assessment? And for all of us here, here's our response to this text. It's the same as what I'm saying to the seniors, but for all of us, every morning, we need to make it a habit. Every morning, we wake up and we pray, God, please keep my heart on you because everything in my life, everything in my school, everything in my world is calling my attention to what's on the outside. Everything in your phone is calling you to pay attention and be consumed what's on the outside. And friends, if we sell out to that, we're going to be hollow and, and depthless shells. That we may look good and our persona is tight, but there's nothing going on on the inside. And we need to remember, friends, because I believe that God wants to use this youth group. I believe that God wants to use our seniors to change their college campuses, to change their, their, their workplaces, to change their families. He wants to use you to change your high schools. But you need to remember that while man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. And so here's how we're going to respond. We're going we're to have a time of prayer here. We have some, some gifts for our seniors that, um, that I want to give you guys. And so can I have my seniors come up here? Let's, let's have our seniors. Give it up for our seniors. All right? Let's have our seniors come up here. Face, face them. Dude. Any last word? I mean, any words for, um, <laughs> for, this, for this congregation? And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to pray that our seniors would not, listen to me, we're praying that our seniors would not live life just for appearances. We're praying that our seniors would pay attention to what's on the inside, that they would develop convictions, that they would form godly habits, that they would pursue mentors in their life to help them stay on track. So we're going to pray for our seniors. We have a gift here. So seniors, on your way out, grab a gift. Um, we're going to pray for them. And then um, we're also going to pray for our eighth graders, all right, as we stand. I want us to pray for our eighth graders because you guys are going into a, a fun season of life right now, okay? You're go- yes, it is. Yes, it is. You're going into high school, okay? And my prayer, this is going to be so cool because four years from now, eighth graders, you're going to be standing right here. Maybe here, maybe here, probably here, all right? Eighth graders are going to be standing up here. Juniors, you're here. Everybody's going to be here one day. And as we get there, we need to remember to not live for appearances because God looks on the heart.
So why don't you guys stand with me and let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for showing us your heart through this text. And Father, right now I pray for our seniors, God. I pray that you would keep their hearts and minds on you. I pray that you would strengthen them because there's so many distractions in this world that want to call them to live for those things. But God, I pray that they would keep their hearts. I pray that they would diligently pursue Christ. I pray, Father, that they would be more concerned with having a heart that pleases you than a profile that pleases someone else, God. I pray for those seniors that are going to, to different colleges and going to campuses all over this country and, or those who are even staying in this county, God. I pray that you would use them, Father. I pray that you would choose to use them based on what's in their heart. I pray that as they learn the gospel, as they grow as disciples of Jesus, that they would be able to show other people, Father, how loving you are and how gracious you are. And because of them, there will be people standing in churches and ultimately standing in heaven because they've crossed paths with these young men and women. So Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you for grace. We thank you for your love. And Lord, we thank you for this tremendous community that you're forging together, Lord. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give it up one more time for our seniors. You can be seated. You can be seated. And so we're going to close our gathering tonight. We're going to respond with musical worship. So the band, you can come. But seniors, grab your gift on the way out after music. And eighth graders, meet me up here at the front because we got, we got something special for you, all right? So thank you, everybody. Let's, let's respond with singing and, uh, and enjoy the rest of our night. <laughs>